This episode is dedicated to the memory of Stan Lee. Welcome to Level 7. A podcast about Marvel's Agents of S.H.I.E.L.D. and the Marvel Cinematic Universe. It's a magical place. Episode 273, Defenders, Season 1, Episode 7, Fish in the Jailhouse. Welcome to Welcome to Level 7. <laughs> I'm your host, Agent Samantha, and with me is Agent... Agent Stu! I, that was a little bit more flouncy, bouncy. I guess I'm Tigger this time. You are, yes. Sure. Of course you're... Of course. <laughs> of course. Although there's no Tiggering going on lately, so we don't even have a title for a certain movie that's coming out in six months. But no. whatever. <laughs> I've heard that there are going to be hint that we may get a trailer in a few weeks. I would imagine I, there's a little movie about Mary Poppins coming out, and I would imagine it'd be on that one. Oh, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> you want to get in some, into some sad news real quick? Yes, we must. Okay. We recently lost the the incomparable, the unmeasurable, the the larger-than-life presence, um, Stan Lee. It's a, it was a, it's a very sad day. Um, we're recording this short, not super shortly after it, but, but recently. It's in very recent memory. Um, and, you know, it, it didn't feel right to talk about the episode without mentioning it. Um, we will do a longer episode about um, Stan Lee and sort of where the MC and, and where the, the Marvel cinematic universe is as a whole, um, after we finish up our defenders, um, coverage. Um, but we wanted to acknowledge that, that Stanley, you know, I mean, he's a huge part of Marvel, duh, but he's also a huge part of the Marvel cinematic universe. Well, I think the person who said it best was actually Will Wheaton. Um, and he said on Facebook, Stan Lee was a complicated man with a complicated life. He wasn't always the good guy in a story, but he was always kind to me whenever we were in the same place. And he deserved better than the parasites and vultures who have been attempting to pick him dry for the last several years. Rest in peace, Stan. Thank you for all of your creations. Wesley says it best. Yes. <laughs> you might not like Wesley, but... He, I think he hit the hammer on the nail because a lot of people are praising Stan Lee, but Will said it perfectly. Stan Lee was not a perfect man. And, and you know, the, the, no one is a perfect person. But he also noted that Stan was also a very kind person to him. So He said something very similar about Gene when, when Gene passed, Gene Roddenberry. Yeah. Um, you know, Gene Roddenberry is not was not a very perfect person. And I think a lot of people we as humans idolize are not very perfect people. That's what makes them human. Cause if yeah. they were perfect people, they would not be human. That's the way it works. 
What is your favorite Stanley cameos, Agent Samantha? Oh, I think it's when he had his headphones and he was in the library. And um, Spider-Man was fighting. Who was who was he fighting? I can't remember. He was fighting somebody in the background. And Stanley is just listening to his music and walking along like nothing happened. What mo- which one was that? What movie is that one? Oh, I think it's one of the amazing Spider-Man movies. Oh, I don't think I've seen those all the way through okay. and enough times. My favorite one is Mr. Stank. Is Tony Stank here? That one's hilarious. <laughs> that And in case you're following at home, that's the one from um, Civil War. Very end. Is, is Tony Stank here? Yes. <laughs> Uh, so, you know, I don't think Stan would want us to be sitting around moping. Um, I think he'd want us to, to enjoy the, the creations, the universe that he's built and, and created. So, um, that, that's what we're going to do here today. We're going to sit and talk about, um, Marvel's Defenders, which is a limited series on Netflix. Um, and so we're going to, we're going to talk about the episode seven, Fish in the, Fish in the Jailhouse. So I think Ben talks about uh, the spoiler policy. Let's yes. revisit it real quick. Um, basically, if it's come out and we've covered it, so the movies are all fair game because we're all caught up on the movies waiting patiently for Captain Marvel and Avengers 4, the untitled Avengers 4. Um, I, I think the title of Avengers 4 is going to be called Ha! We Gotcha. <laughs> um, so if it's come out in the movies and we've covered it, it's fair game. So if we have not covered it, we're probably not going to talk about it in the in our coverage of Daredevil or of Defenders, not Daredevil, Defenders. Um, and if you've joined us from watching it on uh, or catching it on like TV time, that app, that's pretty cool. Thank you very much. And. I think that's everything. So without further ado, got anything else? Um, yes, I uh, I think up to this point, what has been released for the MCU so far are only the Netflix series, Defenders. Uh, I'm sorry. Yeah, Defenders, Punisher, Jessica Jones, Luke Cage, Iron Fist, and Daredevil. Um, so at this point, what what has not been released yet? Well, we're um, still waiting for Runaways. Runaways, Runaways season, season two. two. Yeah. And that's it. Why don't we start this down this uh down this road as if we were fish in the barrel? I mean jailhouse. Okay. <laughs> so, okay, so by the nature of the, the way the Netflix series works, we'll watch them long before we ever record about them. And we really want to get those like really first like initial reactions. So what's happened is um, way back when the series first came out on Netflix, we all called in the show. We called in the hotline, like you can call in. And we said, these are our initial reactions. And some of them are great. Some of them are not so great, but here they are. Hey, party people. Agent Daniel here. Just got done with Defenders. Episode 7. Funny, funny sort of thought that I have here. 
Is it me or are they kind of short on story? Um, they got a lot of characters and a lot of folks that need to do things and we need to see our rocks and our foundations and we need to get Claire involved, which it seems like Claire is going to be involved in a very, very key way with the big debate thing. But these episodes are all short, really, really short. Uh, I swear that there were some episodes of some of our shows that are up to an hour, sometimes over. These are like 43, 45 minutes. Maybe, perhaps, part of the reasons that, to me, the Defenders isn't resonating as much as Luke Cage, who, who they both have Luke Cage, both have great Luke Cage, is, is there's just short on story. Is it possible it got stretched a little too far and that they struggled to fill this time with, again, a lot of characters, and a bunch of them that I really like, like Jessica. Um, I don't know. I don't know, just... Thoughts and wonderings, but hey, big giant dragon makes everything better. Hi, it's Samantha. I just finished episode seven. Oh, there's a dragon? There's a dragon underneath New York City? Well, that doesn't exactly surprise me that something would be down there. I mean, there's alligators in the sewers. But anyways, <laughs> there's a dragon underneath New York City. Um, the skeleton of one. Oh, that was wild. Oh, that was so wild. Oh, I want to watch episode eight, but I, again, I've got to go and be somewhere. Oh, this is going to kill me all day. I've got to go to work. Oh, okay. Bye. So, Agent Sue calling in for Defenders episode seven. Big hole in uh, Daredevil season two. We now know what it is. Don't know what it is except that it's a big hole that's housing something that Danny Rand can get into. In the end, did it, did it look like he was in some sort of big thing that maybe flew through the air and maybe the incident? Just the other thing. <laughs> Hashtag it's all connected. It's not really. <clears throat> you would think they would have called Iron Man or somebody. Like, I really want Coulson to show up. This is a Coulson thing. But he's not going to, isn't he? Hashtag it's all connected. No, really, Feige, it's not. Anyway, uh, I'm enjoying it so far. Can't wait to see where it ends. I think I'm going to do the last episode tonight. Uh, it's late. I'm going to get up early, but we'll see what happens. All right. Peace out. Bye. Hey there, future people. It's Ben, Ben Avery calling in about episode seven. And I think that the, probably the best thing I can say about episode seven is that it really makes me want to see episode eight. Why? Because this leads us into the end. And, and I'm really curious what's going to happen here. Dragon bones. I mean, come on. Come on. And Danny has a purpose, and they're pulling all the threads together, and there's some cool fighting, kind of, and the police, and they got a plan, and, uh, well, kind of a plan. I mean, and they're also conflict with each other, you know? And, and, and sporting cast. I mean, it's all here. It's all here. These are the things that, um, make a good Defenders episode, and I'm kind of sad because it's going to be the, well, we're coming up on the last Defenders episode, so. I'm sad. 
future Ben. But I'm happy because that means, um, I mean, I've only seen it once, but uh, it would seem to me that you have seen it twice now because you're rewatching it for the uh, episode. When's that going to happen, though, by the way? Um, yeah, well, later. One more episode. Bye. The title of this episode is actually very unusual, and are you aware of the source of the name? Fish in the Jailhouse? No, because I, I think it's like shooting fish in a barrel, so obviously that's not correct. <laughs> no, it's actually a little bit different. There is a Tom Waits song called Fish in the Jailhouse, and it's about some guys in jail, and one of them has a plan on how to get out, how to break out. And so he asks another guy, what's in the dinner menu tonight? Because I'd really love to have fish tonight. And as the song goes on, he reveals that he wants to use the bone of one of the fish to create a skeleton key to get himself out. And in this episode, a lot of it is about how our heroes are trying to get out of being trapped either in a jail or other by other people. In the, our cold open, it's actually a scene from Daredevil. I actually subtitled this scene myself as previously not seen on Daredevil Season 2. Because this scene actually fits in to that series. Electra steps out of her ridiculously expensive and overpowered sports car to meet Stick by one of New York City's famous rivers. He rebukes her for failing her mission, which was to convince Matt to join the chase. She tried to persuade him to give into his darkest impulses, but instead it was Electra who changed. She fell in love, and Stick doesn't think there is any time for it. Electra points out what she could have been considered, either a strength or a weakness in Matt. He will not kill blindly on someone else's command. Stick decides to leave Matt behind because the hand is on the move, and the chaste need to decide their own course of action. Matt's influence on Electra shows when she asks if there is any way to win this war without so much death. And Stick says that there will be death, and all they can do is get out of its way. Coming back to the present in the Defender series, we see the aftermath of the latest skirmish. The turned Electra has killed Stick and kidnapped Danny, leaving the unconscious forms of Matt, Luke, and Jessica behind for the police to find. And then there's the theme music. Yes. Yeah, I like it when they when they go back and they show scenes that would fit into other episodes or other movies or other series or other seasons of something. And that if you've been watching consistently like we have, you 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 attach on to that, you glom on to that. And if you haven't, it doesn't really matter. But, you know, I like it when they do that. Yeah, me too. And it kind of weaves all. all it, it helps to weave in the series, the different types of shows together as to one large series. Mm-hmm. I can't remember if um, Ben said it here or in our private conversations off air, but um, he said that he feels like all of these series are actually seasons of the same show, but the seasons have different names. That's what I feel like too. I like they're, they're yeah. all very, very similar. Um, it'll be interesting to see how they translate when they move over to um, the Disney streaming. Cause I don't think they're gone yet. I think they're just going to move. 
least that's my hope. Yeah, I think they're going to just put these series under different names. Um, have up to this point, I believe they have officially canceled Luke Cage and Iron Fist. Mm-hmm. Uh, and they have hinted that this frees the the characters up to move on to different things. But have they canceled Jessica Jones and Daredevil yet? I have not seen an official cancellation of Jessica Jones and Daredevil. Okay. Now, Defenders, you know, there's some, it's classified as a limited series on Netflix. So I, I don't think that was ever destined for a season two, but that's my personal. So do you want to get into the, to the next act? Sure. In act one, Jessica wakes up in a daze, once again in a police interrogation room, handcuffed to the table with Detective Misty Knight standing over her. Jessica claims she doesn't remember anything, but Misty recaps what the police found in that abandoned building, including two unidentified bodies, one without its head and the other was impaled, meaning Sawanda and Stick, respectively. Matt and Luke were also found unconscious with her. Jessica realizes that Danny was not mentioned and is frantic to know where he is. Misty doesn't know and continues to ask questions, and Jessica carefully answers the ones that won't incriminate her. Misty switches tactics and says that they're on the same side. Jessica fesses up that there is a weird shadow organization. There was only one killer at the scene, and it was the same person who killed John Raymond. But Jessica is unsure if Misty would believe her. Down the hall, Matt wakes up on a couch wearing an NYPD Harlem t-shirt. Foggy walks in to check on him. Matt's white dress shirt was taken for blood samples, Claire has checked him over for injuries. Matt realizes that Electra has killed Stick and kidnapped Danny. Foggy tries to talk him out of leaving, but stops when he he hears Electra is alive. Then Misty enters. Matt tries to evade her questions, claiming attorney-client privilege. But Misty isn't daunted because he's now a witness to a crime. She states a clear fact that his involvement in Danny Rand's disappearance will make his life difficult. Matt can't say much about the incident, but says they need to do all they can to help Danny. Misty, however, refocuses the problem at hand. Matt is in the police's custody, whether formally or informally. He needs to start helping himself. In another room, Claire and Colleen watch over a comatose Luke. There was a strange incense at the crime scene that knocked him out. She's not sure when, when he'll wake up, but his pulse is steadily rising. Claire reflects that, despite trying to do everything she can to avoid people with abilities, that she still ended up at the police station, surrounded by them. Colleen argues that running away from the fire is against her nature. As Claire begins to ponder this, Luke wakes up. He asks if Danny is okay, and Claire takes a deep breath to prepare herself for exposition. Elsewhere in town, the surviving members of the Hand are not happy with Electra because she killed Alexandra. This is not how they do business, nor is it their first coup. Electra notes that it is, however, their first without the substance. Madame Gao questions how they are to explain Alexandra's death to the crime leaders and corporate partners with whom Alexandra has fostered relationships, and those relationships give them invisibility and power. Electra isn't impressed. They continue to debate with her, but she doesn't care about the hand. All she cares about is the substance. Yeah, a lot happens in that first that first but bit. Um, I really like the 
how they've woven in all the sub characters, all the secondary characters. Yeah, you've got the main four and they're going to often defend or whatever. Yeah, the moments between Claire and Colleen are really powerful and they're really emotional. And then and then when you bring in Misty Knight, you totally see that there's three very strong women you know, passing Bechtel tests all over the place, right? It's pretty yeah. it's pretty cool. I don't know. Was that scene would that scene pass the Bechtel test? Well, they do talk about how Claire's trying to avoid people with abilities, but she ends up still at that police station, surrounded by them. So well yeah, so maybe it would because a bit of that converse or I'd have to go read. I mean, they're not uh, review the Bechdel yeah. I'd have to yeah, right. But, I, the yeah. the point is, they're not sitting there going, "Oh my god!" Like I'm so totally in love with him. <laughs> you know, they're talking about like important things. Yeah, they're talking about Claire and not about not Claire and Luke, just Claire herself. And then I think you know Misty kind of steps in it a little bit with, you know, you were a witness to a crime, and he's like, "Hmm, should I, should I tell you how it sounded there?" detective. I do like that bit. Do you want me to describe how it sounded? <laughs> also, Matt's glasses, the left lens is cracked. Oh, really? There's hmm. a big old crack in it. it. Something tells me that lens crafters doesn't carry red lenses. Actually, it's illegal to carry ren- red lenses. It cannot be absolutely really? red. Yes, because if someone wears them while they're driving, they wouldn't be able to see a red stoplight. See, this podcast is both entertaining and informative. So there you go, listener. You have you have been learned. Actually, I learned that from when the first X Men movie came out. <gasps> when was oh, it? Oh yeah. Because yeah. Um, Oakley, oh yeah, Oakleys were the um, company that made um, sci- uh, mm, yeah Scott's glasses. Fr- when I worked at the movie theater, I had a friend who saved up many pennies to go buy some of those. And uh, I think there was like a couple of different tiers, right? So like there was the super high priced ones mm-hmm. and then there was like the super low priced ones. And I think he ended up getting a middle priced one. I was too worried about, I don't know, being able to get bus fare, but, <laughs> uh, but yes, I, I worked at the movie theater when the first X-Men movie came out. We, we watched the, uh, the teaser trailer. We just, put it on a loop <laughs> and we watched it in the theater like you know for an hour and a half it was pretty fun wow yeah or, or I, I can't remember which version of those glasses my friend got but he told me that you could only get these lenses in like this orange red color mm-hmm. because you couldn't get them in in red as as you would believe it would be um mm-hmm. on screen but Okay, so let's talk about these these uh these these hand members. Who is the most threatening of these three people left, four people? You got Gao, you got Bakuda, Bak- Bakula, whatever his name is. And Hold on a second. I, I have their names written down here. Okay. Bakudo. Bakudo. And Murakami. Yeah. Who's the most like threatening of those people? Huh, that's a good question. I think that they all have their different strengths. I think Morikami's a little bit more unhinged than the other two. I don't think I'd want to stand in the way of Madame Gao, though. I wouldn't want to stand in the way of any any of the three of them. So it's from a dramatic sense. Like, I don't feel threatened by Bakudo or Morikami. But, like, if I see Madame Gao show up, I'm like, oh, man, this is going to be cool. Now, probably because I've seen her in, you know, 
the first Daredevil series, the second Daredevil series, Iron Fist. You know what I mean? Yeah, mm-hmm. I know we saw Bakudo and Iron Fist, but let's not go into that. Um, I mean, that wasn't – he didn't have the same punch. Let's just call it that. So – what I really appreciate about this is that she's a force to be reckoned with, and we know that she's a force to be reckoned with. And she keeps she keeps turning up like a bad penny. Well, Marukami, he scares me because when we first meet him, he is butchering that bear, that very endangered bear <laughs> that he killed with his own hands. Yeah, I don't know. I live in the UP. We it's deer season right now. We got. Stuff going on all over the place. Now, it's not bear season, for sure. But I don't know. It just it doesn't hit me as the same way, I guess. Yeah, but he specifically hunted out that very specific kind of bear just because it was rare and it was difficult to find. And I think he spends a little bit too much time by himself, too. Because <laughs> he has a menace with him. Yeah, I won't. Where Madame Gao and Bakudo, I feel like you can at least talk them down and reason with them. But Murakami seems... A little unhinged to me. <laughs> I won't deny that he's he's unhinged. I just there's so much backstory with Gal that you kind of yeah. go, oh no. And then when she, well, she's she's a villain that I can respect. Absolutely, and she's a villain that keeps turning up. Which is why I kind of like why I like her. Mm-hmm. I hope that she never goes away. I hope that I we hope always she- see we all you know she'll she turns up in unexpected place. Wouldn't it be amazing? If bouncy, 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 she showed up in the in the movies, that'd be cool. That would be cool. Is it going to happen? No. Yeah. No, it is not. <laughs> well, maybe because Disney is when with Disney's streaming service, they are bringing some of the characters from the movie series to their own series. Maybe. I think. Fool me once, Disney. Shame on you. Fool me twice. Shame on me. Well, Tom Hiddleston has hinted that. Well, have they confirmed that Loki's going to get his own series? Yeah, Loki and Scarlet Witch have their own series coming. Yeah, and Tom Hiddleston a few days ago posted on his Twitter feed that there are more things to come for Loki. And I believe in our feed, we our private feed, we debated, is this a hint that Loki survives Avengers or... That he faked his death yet again? Or is this streaming series going to be a flashback series? And I think we both, I think there were two people who said, no, he's (laughs) dead. And I think there were two people who were like, no, I hope he's alive. Loki got a mischief. And two people were like, nah, dead. Dead from the head up. Dead from the head down. Back at the police station, Matt, Jessica, and Luke are brought together to talk to Misty and her boss, Captain Straber. They state to the trio that the police force wishes to treat them as witnesses and not suspect to a crime committed by a mysterious crime syndicate. And they think that these three can fill in the gaps. Matt and Jessica are resistant at first, but Luke is forward with the truth as they know it. The crime syndicate is called The Hand, and they took Danny. While these three can take on The Hand, the police want to take over because they have legal jurisdiction. Matt, Jessica, and Luke won't budge on their own belief of who is best equipped to go against the hand. Straber, in frustration, wants to throw these three in jail, but Matt asks to speak privately with Jess and Luke on how to handle this legal situation. As Straber's temper flares, 
Misty steps in and says that she thinks they should let them go. A few minutes later, as our trio begin to leave the office, Karen pulls Matt aside. Karen is concerned that it is only a matter of time the police will figure out he is Daredevil. He thanks her and assures her that this is his life. Claire and Colleen worry over Danny. Colleen knows that deep down, Danny is still a kid looking for family. And with her and the others, Danny almost had it. Misty pulls Luke aside. She's concerned because she wanted to only help one family. And now he's mixed up in something much bigger. She doesn't want him to be a martyr without a plan. That's not what he's trying to be and asks her to please let him protect her and the city. In a deep underground elevator, Electra descends with Danny, who is restrained. The three surviving members of the Hand watch on closed-circuit television. Murakami questions if Electra's plan is worthwhile, and Madame Gal reminds him that Electra has brought them closer to achieving their goal. Bakuda follows that once she has, anything can happen. Down in the elevator, Danny awakens when they reach the bottom of the shaft. He asks Electra what they are doing there, and she says it depends on him. She stops him, and Danny is astonished when he recognizes something, something that the hand has been trying to reach for years. The wall with the ancient inscriptions. Okay, so what did you think about this part? So this is tip, this is a very typical act two. We're putting all the characters in place. We're moving them from point A to point B. Um, in this case, we're getting them all down into a tunnel. Um, yes, and I I like that because it's moving the thing. It's moving the story forward. I'm all for that. Yeah, it's that bridge part of the episode, or it's one of, one of the bridges. Well, yeah, I mean, I think this is all sorts of bridges. There's lots of bridges going on in this in this series, because ultimately they got to fight. You know, whatever's down there in the in the, you know, they got to get there. In right? the deep, yeah. yeah. I also like the uh, the juxtaposition of Streber versus um, Misty. Yeah, I mean that's setting Misty up to be. A forward thinker ally of the the defenders, yeah. And Misty, I mean, and she she's not she she's really really smart, and she can think independently of what her boss is thinking. Who he seems to be just your classic hot headed captain. He does He's have that to... classic. I'm getting too old for this mentality. <laughs> yeah, I'm too impatient to to listen to reason. Because I'm in charge and I'm right and you're wrong sort mm -hmm. of mentality. But he respects Misty enough to listen to her. Yeah, I mean, he respects her. So were you surprised when uh, Matt and Jessica were unsure about coming forward with what they know about the hand? And Luke is like, they're called the hand. Oh, so when Luke just spills that beans, I think yeah. he did that as a power play to get... Um, Streber on his side. Yeah, and I think it was a really good idea because sometimes in these sort of action movies, it's not it's not always a good idea to keep the police in the dark. Mm -hmm. <laughs> and I, I think, and since Luke himself is a former cop, he he would know better. You know what's the best call when dealing with the police? Well, you'd think he'd know better. You'd yeah. hope he know better. Sometimes, he better. <laughs> sometimes he doesn't. Actually, I think he's he's one of my, yeah. He's definitely like in my top three of my favorite characters of all these series. 
Yeah, I, he's my favorite. I love his series. I don't want to say he's the low-rent Captain America, but he's definitely the street-level Captain America. Yeah, I mean, he's got that same sort of mentality, right? He's got that, Yeah. I, I'm not going to impose my view on you, and you're not going to impose your view on me, and we're just going to get along. And he's bulletproof. Yeah, and I'm not going to say that, you know, American way and the way that Captain America was portrayed as um, a USO sort of character. But he does portray like this sense of peace and hope uh, and standing up to the bad guy, which is what we do get from from Captain America. Standing up for the little guy, too. Standing up for the I realize I'm a superhero. I realize I have I've been blessed with this gift and I'm just going to go out and help, you know, whether that's, you know, whether that's touring the USO or catching when catching the spear that's thrown at you from across the, you know, you're you're saving vision or whatever. (laughs) Any other thoughts before we move on to the next act? No. Okay. And on to the third act in the police station. Matt, Luke, and Jessica sit down to consider where they are and what their next move will be. Certainly, Stick wanted Danny dead because he knew what they were planning to do with the Iron Fist. Matt believes that Midland Circle is the best place to look for Danny and the Hand. Jessica says that the architect was planning to blow up the building. Matt believes that the Hand wants him because the Iron Fist unlocks whatever they have underground. Foggy knocks on the door to give Matt a change of clothes. This isn't normal streetwear or made of tweed. It's his daredevil suit. At the same time, Foggy warns him that his real life and his other life are about to collide. The police must must only see him as a lawyer. In another room, Streber wants to get something out of our three heroes besides their cooperation. This is something that can make or break Misty's career. They hear a loud crash. They rush into the other room where Matt, Jessica, and Luke were last seen. Instead of finding those three persons of interest, they find a giant hole in an exterior wall. The defenders are on the run. Deep underground, Elektra asks Danny if he knows the language written on the wall. There were many things the elders of Kunlun didn't tell him, and he believes this language is one of them. Even if he could read the writing, he he wouldn't know what to do with this wall. Fortunately, Electra listened to Alexandra. Years ago, an ancient iron fist sealed the wall, and only another can open it. Danny says he was meant to protect Kunlun and all its secrets. Electra re- reminds him that now they are both free of their masters and loosens his restraints. So here we have our heroes breaking free or finding a way to be free of the police station or in Danny's situation, he's free from the restraints that were keeping him tied up. Yeah. So if they're, I mean, are they good guys or are they bad guys? Because they escape police custody and they break through a wall. That's not very good guy behavior. You know what I mean? But that's vigilante behavior. Yeah. And this is this is the great question that these series, you know, especially all the Netflix street level series are asking, right? Are they good guys or bad guys? I mean, Punisher does it splendidly well in Daredevil season two. 
If he's a good guy for the wrong reasons, is he still a good guy? You know? Yeah, but I can see Captain America making that same choice breaking out of that, that police station. Mm, I don't know. Does he break well, he, out of does he break the out of the raft? Does he break or the Or does he break into it? He breaks into it for sure. Does he break the other guys out of it though? Well, we know the answer to that. Yeah, he did. Well, then I guess he would do the same thing. Yeah. Okay. okay. Well, we settled that. Done. Okay. Done. Yeah, so I really liked. I mean, I I want to continue going through these. Is this the is this the part where she steals the beer from the homeless guy on the on the subway? Oh, I think that's in the next act. Oh, okay. Well, yeah. let's go there. Okay. <laughs> in the police station, it's all hands on deck for the whole precinct. Streber is handing out orders, especially to Misty, to find Matt, Luke, and Jessica. Colleen, on the other hand, covertly sneaks into the evidence room to find something useful. First, she finds the blueprints to Midland Circle, and then she sees the C4. She has a plan. On the street, Matt, Luke, and Jess try to make their way across town while trying to avoid the police. Matt hears police radio chatter in a passing patrol car. The police believe that Luke and Jessica kidnapped Matt. They strategize on the best way to get across town. They don't have any money for a cab because their wallets are back at the police station. But Jessica finds her Metro card in her jacket pocket. Later in the subway car, Jessica takes a beer from a sleeping man in rags because it's been a long week. Back at the police station, Karen catches up with Foggy. She asks why Matt would do something so risky. And Foggy replies that this thing is so huge and, well, he told him to. Foggy believes that this battle will finally allow Matt to put Daredevil behind him. Elsewhere, Misty finds Claire to discover if she can give her a clue where they have gone. Misty doesn't want to see Luke go back to prison. Claire knows to him it doesn't matter because his true north is doing the right thing. Misty doesn't want him to lose his freedom. Harlem needs him. Claire points out that this is exactly what the city needs from him. After a breath, Misty realizes that Colleen is missing. Outside of Midland Circle, Jessica wonders if they have time to grab a drink or three. She and Luke both admit that they may be having second thoughts. But instead of cowering away, they jump into strategizing on how to get into the building. There was a parking garage in the back. That's how Luke got into the building when they all first met and faced off against Alexandra, Electra, and The Hand. That was two days ago, but it feels like three weeks ago. Matt appears in his daredevil suit and they head on. In the garage, they meet their three counterparts, Madame Gal, Bakudo, and Murakami. Deep underground, by the Kundalun wall, Electra suggests that they don't need to fight, but Danny knows that fighting is all the hand knows. Electra retorts that she's not the hand. In fact, she and Danny are the same. They've been raised to fight someone else's war when they both want the freedom to decide their own futures, and in many ways kept in the dark. The difference is that she took her destiny, and he ran away from his own. He recognizes that there are many things he wasn't ready to confront, but she is not one of them. They begin to fight. So here we have your scene where Jessica is drinking the beer, which she stole from a homeless man, I'm assuming, <laughs> on the subway. Well, repatriated. Let's let's not use the word stole. <laughs> That's such a harsh word for a vigilante. 
She stole it. She stole it. Yeah, I mean, it's been a long week, and when you need when you need some beer, it's, you know, you need some beer. That's all I'm going to say about that. Mm. Again, this is the scene where I'm thinking Madame Gao is a force to be reckoned with, and I do not want, not the beer scene, the next one when they fight. I don't want to be up against Madame Gao. Oh, no, because uh, we've already seen she's oddly powerful when she wants to be. Right, which makes me wonder, like, what's her deal? Because those other guys could just be, like, super, you know. Bukudo, there's something weird going on with him, but we've never seen overt powers from her from him whereas madam gal i mean that's telekinesis like she you know force punches those bricks and they blow up i mean that's not she is she's got some sort of power where bakudo and the other guy maybe have different kind of kinds of powers that don't manifest in powerful sorts of ways right mm-hmm. but she has telekinesis she could use Move things with her mind, just like Scarlet Witch. So you're saying that she may be related to Darth Vader. And that she's a mutant. And that, too. Yes. Yes. Which I think up until now, the MCU could not use the word mutant. They still can't. Cause that they still not, can't? That deal's not done yet. Oh, I thought I thought it was done. Okay. It's done, but it's not done. In the parking garage, Daredevil Jessica Jones and Luke Cage face off against... The three surviving members of the hand. Gal force punches a pallet of cinder blocks towards Luke and Jessica. Daredevil takes on Bakudo and Murakami together. After Jessica warns Gal that she's a lot stronger than she looks, Gal shows that she is stronger and she takes on Luke and Jess. Colleen slides in to join the fight and briefly clashes swords with Bakudo. Murakami sees a gas line and shouts for a light and breaks open the gas line. Bakudo slices his sword on the concrete pavement creating sparks, and the gas ignites. Luke covers the hole in the gas line with his hand and twists the pipe close, putting out the flames. When they look up, the hand is gone, and Luke chastises Colleen for leaving the precinct. Underground, Elektra and Danny continue their fight. He says that he learned loyalty from his masters, and Elektra questions why he left. After she takes him down, she taunts him by describing their screams as she herself was the one who murdered the elders. Danny summons his chi and punches Electra across the chamber. Upstairs, Misty and Claire arrive in a car. Misty informs them that the full force of the NYPD is not far behind and surprises them by asking how long they need her to stall. With Danny's hand glowing downstairs, Electra has him where she wants him. She takes him on again, evades his punch, and allows him to strike a crude column. She draws her size and leads his next strike to hit the sealed wall, breaking it open. All across town, the power goes out. At the precinct, Karen receives a call from her boss, Ellison. In Midland Circle, Matt, Jessica, Luke, Colleen, and Claire keep moving down the parking garage stairwell. Luke stops long enough to bend a bar over the stairwell entrance. In the garage, the police arrive to find only Misty, who says when she arrived, the lights were out and they were already gone. An officer tries to open the stairwell entrance but finds it locked. In an inside foyer, Matt touches the floor and feels there is a structure underground and an elevator ahead. It must be where they took Danny. Colleen has a surprise for them. She shows them the C4 in a duffel bag and suggests 
it as a plan after they get Danny away from the hand. Jessica is against this idea, but Colleen knows how relentless the hand can be. Luke doesn't want to take lives, but Colleen knows there's, they're not truly alive. Killing them cuts off the head of their organization. Matt tells them that there is no one else in this building besides themselves and the hand. He's not okay with this plan either, but bringing the building down is the best way to protect the city. There aren't any objections or better ideas. So that's what they're going to do. Below ground, Danny wakes up on the other side of the sealed wall. In the ceiling, he sees a gigantic vertebrae column and ribs balancing, ribs bracing a tunnel. The camera pulls out and we see the skeletal remains of a huge dragon. End of episode. Bum, bum, bum. So we just went from action series to fantasy series <laughs> with that reveal at the end. I don't know if I like it or not. And it's been a year or whatever since Defenders came out. And I've watched the whole thing. It's weird. It just doesn't make any sense. And I think part of it is that they hinged the entire, you know, thing of this show, the guffin of this show, on Danny Rand as the Iron Fist. And I don't know if that was a good idea. What do you think about this whole, you know... Oh look, we got to use Danny's hand to get into uh, get inside the Kun Lun magical barrier to get inside to a dragon bones. I mean, what do you think about that? If you want to go ancient and mythical, I think it works. Yeah, if it's ancient and mythical, which apparently these dragon bones are, and Kun Lun, the elders wanted to protect these bones because they knew that eventually the hand would run out of the substance. And obviously the substance are ground dragon bones. And they, they knew that eventually it would happen. And so they had an iron fist seal up those bones. Because that was probably one of the last sources of dragon bones on in this universe. Oh, you know there's some over in L.A. Oh, you know it. And why New York? Why bury it in New York? Why not bury it in, like, Chicago or out in the middle of Kansas? I don't think it's purposely buried there. I think that's just where it happens to be. So underneath the swamp that New right. York sits on. Okay. Okay, good. Yes. Um, overall, what did you think of this episode? Oh, I think it's fantastic. It's a really great setup for um, mm -hmm. the final episode of the series, which will be next time. I like the, the Defenders series limited series on Netflix as a whole. Um, and I almost feel like it's like sitting down and reading a book or um, it's hard to take one chapter out, you know, and sort of examine it as its own thing um, because the beginning, middle and end of a three act structure doesn't exist in this television series because the whole thing is, you know, bingeable and watchable at the same time. So that was our episode. Thank you very much to all the Patreons and supporters of the show. If you would like to join our list of Patreons, you can do so on the websites that Ben will talk about at the very end of the episode. Um, but for right now, we have Patreons of Andrew, Jeffrey, Trent, Tassel, 084, and Anthony. Thank you all for, for helping us and uh, listening to the show. And the best thing you can do is share it out to your friends. So if you're liking this, press that little share button on the uh, on the old Facebook. 
um, or if you're an Instagrammer or I don't even know how that works, but um, share it out to your friends. Let them know that you're listening. We'd love to have more people and join the conversation. Yes, thank you very much. And um, earlier today, you know I have this cat named Thor, right? I do know that you have a cat named Thor. I did not name him. He he came to me named Thor. And why on earth would I change that name? He's awesome. Um, well, today he was looking out the window and he saw a squirrel. And he started doing that weird <laughs> in a chatter. And I know what he's trying to do. He's trying to get me the, to open up the door so he can... So he can run out and chase these squirrels. And I know he wants me to go with him. And I turned to him today and I said, is Sidekick a good look on me? Thanks once more for listening. You've heard us. Now we'd love to hear from you. Just go to welcometolevel7.com slash feedback to contact us through our website. You can also leave us a voicemail by calling 17755-LEVEL-7. You can also join the conversation by liking us on Facebook, facebook.com slash welcome to level seven, or by following us on Twitter, where we are level seven pod. Welcome to level seven is a proud member of the Noodle Nicks Network. Find more of our award winning and award nominated podcasts to help you think, laugh, and succeed at noodle.mx. Learn how to podcast, get productive in your personal and professional life, theorize over TV shows, laugh at our clean comedy, learn critical thinking from movie reviews, and more at noodle.mx. Thanks for joining us. Until next time, Godspeed. So, have you watched the new Doctor Who? Yes. And we've already gotten through, what, four episodes of Doctor Who at this point? I thought it's more like six. Is it six? Yeah. Uh, Woman Who Fell to Earth, um, The Ghost Monument, Rosa, the spiders, one that scares me, and then Mm -hmm. um, the the demons of the Punjab. So that's five. Wow, I just rattled those off really well. I'm impressed. Yeah. I love her. I am so glad she's here. Yes. She has an empathy that I think most other doctors don't. All other doctors don't. Hmm. Well, let me think about this. She. she I don't know. I, she. She just feels like like a continuation of the doctor, and she hasn't missed a beat, in my opinion. No. Um, no, she hasn't. What I find though is that she has. I think it's a combination of the writing, and it's a combination of Jodie Whittaker's acting, where she. She looks at a situation different. And she'll look at the situation and go, maybe we can bend that rule a little bit. Or maybe we should, you know, stand up for Ro- – did you watch Rosa? Oh, yeah. That was really good. That was amazing. And the look on her face in, in sort of the, the end of that episode um, – I don't want to spoil it for anybody who hasn't seen it yet. But – You know, that she goes through some stuff and she has this realization at the end of the episode that just makes her crestfallen. And it's amazing. Oh, yeah. I know what you're talking about. Yeah. Mm hmm. Mm hmm. But I feel like that's the same sort of way that um, David Tennant's doctor would have approached the situation or Matt Smith. Um, Peter Capaldi, I feel like he would have been a little bit more grumpy, but he would have done it.
I think Peter Capaldi would have, not Peter Capaldi, I think Matt Smith and David Tennant would have gotten up and done a Matt Smith or David Tennant speech. And in fact, I don't even know that they could have done this episode, that episode. True. I totally see them in the other ones. I get it. But there's something about Rosa Parks dealing or not dealing with, but her doctor, you know, the, the, the first woman doctor, you know, having to interact with Rosa Parks, who's such a central integral figure in American history. Right. There's just something about that that I think is really special that I don't think the other doctors could do. I mean, you kind of look at each doctor's episodes and you kind of go, okay, there's the one that only they could do, right? Mm -hmm. And I think this one is that for, for at least right now for her, you know, and I think like Hellbent was for Peter Capaldi. That story could have been written for Matt Smith or David Tennant or even Jodie Whittaker, but only he had the chops to pull it off. Yeah. Yeah. Peter Capaldi. I mean, there was just a ruthlessness to him, but you could also see that he also had an underlying kindness to him as well. Right. He wanted people to get along. He definitely mm-hmm. wanted people to get along. And I think she wants people to get along too, but she just wants, she wants to get along with people. I don't think she's putting herself a, self above anybody else. Yeah. And I think in that episode, Rosa, that you were talking about, that she understood the gravity of this choice that she did not want to make, but she had to. Yes. Right. In order if to she, keep history as it should be. Right. And I also liked that it wasn't some, again, I'm, I'm treading lightly into spoilers and forgive me, audience, if you haven't seen this, do yourself a favor, go find it, go watch it, watch it now. But I like that the villain in the episode wasn't this huge, like, end of time, you know, just Thanos type character, right? It was just, just a meanie. Yeah. <laughs> just, you know, I don't want to get into too many spoilers, but he wasn't this, like, super, like, Thanos. He wasn't a Thanos. He was just kind of a jerk. A henchman. A henchman. I think he was actually a bit of a henchman. And I wonder if we're going to see later who is pulling that, who was pulling that guy's strings. It would be interesting because one of the defining factors of this of series eleven is that what they're on is that yes. there's not supposedly a big overarching big bad guy, right? It's it's um, individual stories, but come on, this is Doctor Who we're talking about, yeah. Well, that was sort of something that was something that uh, Stephen Moffat would do mm-hmm. is he would lay the groundwork for these little for these bigger storylines very, very early. Mm-hmm. Like, I think in his earliest episode that he wrote, which was actually the library two parter, not even the library two parter. It was actually back in season one, The Empty Child and the Doctor Dances, which is where we first meet Captain Jack. Oh, he wrote those? Yeah. I didn't realize he wrote uh, Doctor Dances. Yeah. There are these little, I forget what it was exactly. I will have to go back, but he dropped like these little hints of a future storyline. 
as early as that season season one of the mm-hmm. new Doctor Who. Yeah, I mean Stephen Moffat and Chris Chibnall are definitely two different people, right? Oh yes, and and Russell Crow, Russell Crow, Russell T Davies, not Russell Crow. I don't think he does anything <laughs> with Doctor Who. Russell T Davies is a different um, producer as well. So I, I don't know if you were to tell people right now about this series, what, what one sentence to sum it up to get people to watch. Mm. Um, I would say she's still the doctor that we know. She is still the doctor. Mm-hmm. And, and it's good television. It's really good television. Yes. I mean, I could see putting Jodie Whittaker and like many other episodes with Doctor Who. Absolutely. I'd love them to get into a little bit of timey-wimey, wibbly-wobbly stuff, right? Mm-hmm. I'd love her to meet Tom Baker's Doctor. That'd be amazing. I'd love her to meet the first Doctor, right? That'd be really funny to have the first Doctor be sort of this gruff, you know, man of the 60s and have uh, <laughs> and have her be like, what are you talking about? <laughs> that would be hilarious. Or she wouldn't say, what are you talking about? She would just be embarrassed because this was her earlier self. Right. And so she, yeah. she may even like slap him. That was, that'd be funny. <laughs> and go, oh, that hurt. <laughs> right. I'm still yeah. feeling that. That'd be, that'd be funny. I'd, I'd love to see her interact with herself because I mean, there's the show has changed, you know, for 50 years. It's yes. been on for 50 years. And so attitudes have changed. I mean, when when R- William Hartnell started the doctor, you know, started the the character, he was a gruff old scientist and and then, you know, he kind of he morphed and changed and moved on to this and did that and it was pretty good. Yeah. I'd love to see Jack Barrowman come back as as Captain Jack. Yeah. Sometime. I mean, I know he's kind of gotten John- gray, but yeah, John Barrowman. Yeah, yeah, he's gone. He's gone gray, but it works for him, and mm-hmm. he could always dye his hair back. But I would just love to see him come back, and I would love to see him in an episode also with River Song, because those two together would be make a really great time. That that's not fan service <laughs> at all. <laughs> oh, that would be absolutely yeah. <laughs> that's that's like if you looked at fan service on Wikipedia, it would just have a picture of those two people. <laughs> It needs to happen because I've seen them on panels at at conventions together, and they are a hoot together. They're yeah. wonderful together, and they have like this this great chemistry. And they need to be in those characters on screen at the same time, right? For the last time, as the characters, the- like one more time, no more. Yes. Like we just you know fond farewell. Yes. Now, I don't know. I, I think I think John Barrowman did talk with Stephen Moffat about possibly bringing his character back, but I don't think Stephen Moffat could work him in. Yeah. Plus, I know John Barrowman's moved on to other things, other series. Did you ever watch Torchwood? I've seen a couple episodes, but I just could not get into that series. I'm so sorry for all the Whovians out there that love that show, but I just couldn't get into it for some reason. Get yourself a copy of Children of Earth. That's okay. that is the pinnacle of of watch that 
Don't okay. you don't need to watch anything else, but the Children of Earth is some of the best television ever. Okay. And it's got a very familiar face playing Mr. Frobisher. Okay. But yeah, find Children of Earth, watch that. You don't need to watch anything else. You, don't need, you definitely don't need to watch Miracle Day. Although it's fun, but it's a it's it suffers the same thing that Iron Fist suffers. It's it's very uneven and it doesn't know what it is. So, oh, okay. Okay. Um, but the, and the first two seasons are fun, but Children of Earth is like the best it's ever going to be. So okay. I would watch that. Um, yeah. Doctor Who. Go watch okay. it. Yes. Go watch it. Have fun. Bye, everybody. Bye. Excelsior.